Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Well, all your hearts being here makes it a holy place. So good to see you. Welcome all, members, friends, visitors, seekers, those joining us online. Worship is um, a time when we are truly together. And today is the last day of July 2022, when summer is in full flower, um, a thing to witness. And we are glad you're here. I'm Kate Tucker, she, her, serving you this summer as worship coordinator. This worship hour is a time for remembering who we are, who we are together, and the commitments we hold dear. It's a time for feeling and strengthening the fabric of this beloved community, a congregation firmly grounded in Minneapolis for 163 years years. Love is the spirit of this church, we say, and service is its law. This we try to live. This is a faith home, whatever your age or skin color, gender identification, background, ability. This place was made for you. We hold that all are precious, all are gifted, All deserve a chance at life, a chance to unfold their powers. And so we commit ourselves here to listening and learning and working to end oppression and discrimination wherever we find it, within us, among us, and beyond us. Today, musicians Franco Holder and Fazia Khan and Libby Crawford are with us, and John and Stephen attending to technology. Thank you. Malia Hausnecht is with us. Malia is a lifelong Unitarian Universalist, an active member of this church, and a person who has worked for 20 years in the environmental field. These days, Malia is a student at United Theological Seminary. And Jill Braithwaite is with us, too. Jill is also a seminary student at United and a leader here at First Universalist Church. We are so fortunate to have these students with us, teaching us while being held and nurtured by us. It is mutual blessing and reason for hope. So now, let's settle ourselves. and be really here, sitting comfortably aware of the space over our heads, the spaces around us, 
the spaces within us, aware of the companions seated and breathing near us, aware of our own breathing. aware of our beating hearts. Aware as we sit in these pews that the ground far below is part of the homeland of the Lakota and Ojibwe and other indigenous people who have stewarded this land and to whom we owe deep honor, ongoing reparations and honest storytelling about this place. We bid you welcome, you who come with weary spirit seeking rest or who come hurt or afraid. We bid you welcome who come with hope in your hearts or who come seeking a new faith. We bid you welcome who enter this hall as a homecoming, who have found here room for your spirit. Whoever you are, wherever you are on your journey, we welcome you. Come, let us worship together. Please join me in saying the words for lighting our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning, once again. It's good to be with you. I'm gonna share a story today that starts way back in the 1700s, around 250 years ago, in the northeastern part of this country. White immigrants from Europe had um, created lots of churches when they got to this country. And these churches, for the most part, believe that God created human beings and loves us all. And they also believed that God punishes people. They believed that after we die, God sends some of us to hell and some of us to heaven. And hell, they believed, was a terrible, awful place of fire and pain and it was forever, and there was nothing you could do about it. Well, some people at this time started saying, hold on, wait a minute, we're not sure that makes sense. Those people believe that God's love is a very big love, bigger than we can even imagine, and that it embraces every single person, no exceptions. They believe that everyone goes to heaven, not just a few. This belief came to be called universalism, and it was very controversial at the time. Universalist preachers started popping up all over the Northeast. And by 1793, they had formed a small but official denomination with several churches in the area. Now, universalists had this message about love 
and they wanted to share that message about God's big love, and they got busy with the business of building up their church. So if you wanted to spread a message about big love in the 1700s, what would you do? You couldn't email people, you couldn't post on Facebook, no internet, you couldn't call people, no phones, there was barely even snail mail at this time. So universalist preachers packed up and set out on horseback. They were called circuit-riding preachers because they rode miles and miles and stopped in many different places. They were not stationed in one single church. One of these circuit riders was named Nathaniel Stacy. Nathaniel traveled around the country on horseback preaching to folks who would invite him to their farms. Neighbors would gather and listen and after each sermon, people would pass around a hat to pay the preacher. Sometimes Nathaniel and his horse were invited to stay in someone's house or barn. Sometimes Nathaniel had to sleep outside with only a blanket. Sometimes people fed Nathaniel and his horse, but sometimes he had to forage in the forest for food. Once in a while, Nathaniel could find enough food for his horse, but not for himself and he would feed the horse so they could keep going to spread the message, and he would go hungry. Why did Nathaniel do this work, being away from home for months at a time, sleeping outside in all kinds of weather, going hungry sometimes? Nathaniel said later that he did it because someone had to. Universalist ideas about love and acceptance were so important to spread that Nathaniel was willing to give up his comfort so that he could make sure that there would be a religion called universalism and that it could grow. He thought preaching universalism was like planting a seed and universalist churches that were built up were the crops that grew from those seeds. Another great universalist preacher was named Hosea Ballou. And one time when he was out riding the circuit, he stopped for the night at a New England farmhouse. The farmer there was very upset, and he told Hosea that his son was a big jerk who told lies and went around hurting people and property. The farmer was very afraid his son was going to go to hell. All right, said Hosea with a very serious minister face. Here's what we can do. We'll find a place on the path where your son will be coming home, and we'll build a huge fire, and when he comes home, we'll grab him and we'll throw him into the fire. The farmer was shocked. Wait, 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 that's my son. I love him. And Hosea said, well, if you, an imperfect human being, love your son so much that you wouldn't throw him into the fire, then how can you possibly believe that God, who loves us all so much, would do that? The farmer thought Hosea made a pretty good point. Universalism did grow, and it did eventually join together with Unitarianism to build up into what we now call Unitarian Universalism. Now, a lot has changed since those times. For one thing, we UUs have lots of ways of talking about the holy, the sacred, the principles and values that we lift up. Many of us don't use the word God. But our church is still built on and devoted to the message that there is a big love 
that holds everyone, no exceptions. We like to say that we are love's people, listening to where love is calling us next. And we are still devoted to building up our church. To do that, we get to keep looking around at the world and at ourselves to see where we are falling short of this message of big love. This building up a church work is hard, and that's why we do it together. We can love each other, nudge each other when we need to, and feed each other, and feed each other's horses so we can keep going, so that we have strength and fuel for the journey as we go about building up our church and spreading our message of big love in the world. Thank you, Jill. It's so good to be reminded of our root system. When we gather in worship, we are mindful of the necessary and holy rhythm of giving and receiving. And one way we make real and tangible our bonds to one another is by sharing our financial resources. This we do in person here in the sanctuary, and we also provide online guidance for those of you out there. Our offering recipient today is Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light. Since 2004, Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light has worked with multi-faith communities to address the climate crisis and to co-create a just and sustainable world. We know this is urgent. We see it. We feel it. They do this by empowering communities to take action that is authentic and effective through leadership development and through providing actual opportunities for action. They give us things to do. So we are glad for this opportunity to support interfaith power and light. This is the time we set aside for honoring passages in our lives, and I'm starting with a poem this time. It's called The Way It Is, uh, not William Stafford's, but another one, by Rosemary Watula Tromer. Over and over we break open. We break and we break and we open. For a while we try to fix the vessel, as if to be broken is bad, as if with glue and tape and a steady hand we might bring things to perfect again, as if they were ever perfect, as if to be broken is not also perfect, as if to be open is not the path toward joy. The vase that's been shattered and cracked will never hold water. 
Eventually, it will leak, and at some point, perhaps, we decide that we're done with picking our flowers anyway and no longer need a place to contain them. We watch them grow just as wildflowers do, unfenced, unmanaged, blossoming only when they're ready. And my God, how beautiful they are amidst the mounting pile of shards. In this time we set aside each Sunday for reflection and for honoring what's moving in our minds, in our souls, in our bodies, we feel this forming edge of our lives. We don't just notice, but also we welcome whatever is moving in us, as in that welcome prayer that Reverend Andrea taught us earlier this month. We make room. We welcome it all. We take some moments of ease to breathe and center together, to notice where we're sitting and how. Relaxing everything we can relax without falling over. Reverend Karen Herring, in her book, Trusting Change, reminds us to, for a time, allow our muscles to drape over our bones like clothes draped over a chair. She reminds us of Adrienne Marie Brown's words, what's easy is sustainable. Birds coast when they can. In our moments of welcoming prayer, we acknowledge all that we carry in our collective journey, the suffering of nations war-torn, war the suffering of populations, human and otherwise, distressed by hunger, by heat, by flood, by fire, by violence, by neglect. Will you pray with me? Spirit of life, of love, our source and grounding, we do pray for the struggling young people in our society and for all who have the means and power and wisdom to be their guides and allies. May we be those guides and allies, spirit. We offer our thanks for this community and its vision, and for this Unitarian Universalist heritage, and for our capacity to learn and change, for all blessings which come to us as gifts. Dear spirit, untangle our hearts challenge our despair, direct our courage, draw us toward one another as we offer ourselves to the project of loving and renewing the world. Amen.
Good morning. I do want to start by saying what an absolute delight it is for me to get to be with you and look out at you all from this side of the lectern. Um, as a seminarian, I am new to the pulpit, but I am certainly not new to Unitarian Universalism. I grew up attending a small Unitarian Universalist fellowship in the college town of Morgantown, West Virginia. This faith is something that I have always been privileged to know. At times, I have taken it for granted as a constant and life-giving communal expression of the human need to share in and make meaning of our sense of wonder and reverence for the mystery of existence. Being born into a tradition can give it the illusion of permanence. It can give a community a feeling of, you know, that's obvious in its purpose um, and stable in its foundation. One of the things that we naturally look to faith community for, and not just as you use, but I think people across faiths, is stability. Like many of us who are sometimes called cradle or birthright you use, I spent my 20s and early 30s sporadically attending UU churches as long as it was convenient. There was a stability in being able to find small groups of people who were like me, socially liberal, politically progressive, spiritual, but adamantly non-credal, groups that I could read poetry and sing with on a Wednesday evening. This did not require a commitment to Sunday mornings or joining a church at a time in life when I, like many of my peers, was decidedly transient. Permanence, I thought at the time, was found in the principles. That's what makes us you, you, right? And in the reassurance that I would find people who were, again, like me. I presumed that to mean people who wanted the experience of religion without any sign of supernatural belief or discomforting attempts to make antiquated and, in my estimation at the time, thoroughly paternalistic stories relevant to my 21st century life. It wasn't until my late 30s when my first child began to form relationships and ideas about the world around them that I no longer had control over that I finally joined a church, this church. I was surprised at the time to find that I was the only person in my group of a dozen or so new members who had been raised UU. And I think I actually may have been the only one in the group who even knew what Unitarian Universalism was before finding the congregation that we were joining. It was as an adult and church member that I came to fully understand the degree to which we are a faith movement of converts and to a very large degree of transients. Good statistics are hard to come by, but the little bit of research that has been done suggests that less than 15% of those who are raised UU remain active in the denomination, which is kind of a sad statistic, um, and those who join one UU congregation aren't particularly likely to continue congregational participation should they move or have a change of life circumstances. I've known a lot of comers and goers, and I bet you have too. There is far more about us UUs, and to be clear, us humans, that is transient than is permanent. So given this, 
I have been surprised by the degree to which some in our congregations have formed what strikes me as a somewhat ossified notion of what Unitarian Universalism is at its core. What about our shared faith should be seen as permanent, absolute, or essential? What is the story we tell ourselves about what it is that defines us as Unitarian Universalism and Unitarian Universalists? As it would be hard to notice, Unitarian Universalism is at a moment in our history that is characterized by anything but permanence. After reaching a crisis point in 2017, we have been reckoning with the gap between our ideals of inclusion and plurality, our stated belief in the inherent worth and dignity of every person, in justice, equity, and compassion, and respect for the implications of deep and broad interdependence. We, we believe these things. And the reality of our interactions with one another, through which our black, brown, trans, and disabled siblings, among others, still experience harm and exclusion. We have been asking ourselves, what is required of us? What are we individually and collectively called to do in order to become the beloved community that we strive to be? What is our bigger story? We have begun, but not yet emerged from, our latest, but by no means our first, metamorphosis. We are the soupy goo inside the chrysalis. This can be a very uncomfortable stage in the life of a community, especially at a time when the world is so full of change. Unknowns, the loss of places and institutions that we thought we could count on to be there forever. But my friends, we can emerge and take flight, and it helps to remember that we have been here before. We are the living faith tradition. The words and the ideas that feel like such important anchors of shared meaning right now came from people much like us, living in other historical contexts, who overcame their fear of change for the sake of remaining relevant and meaningful within the evolving mosaic of human knowledge and human history. Lest we forget, the current principles and sources of, and, um, and purpose of our covenant were only written 60 years ago at the time of the merger of the American Unitarian Association and the Universalist Church of America, when they were written into the bylaws of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And we'll come back to that later. But that was far from the first time that we overcame division as we moved through transformational, not incremental change. Another 120 years or so before the merger, our Unitarian predecessors would have been unrecognizable to us today. Although they had split off from the other Congregationalists in 1825 by denying the unique divinity of Christ, they were very much still Christians while identifying even then as non-credal, they also had notions of what constituted Unitarian orthodoxy, despite how seemingly contradictory that may sound. From within the ranks of those Unitarians emerged a revolutionary force, 
a band of young upstarts, a generation of clergy that embraced the most liberal church movements of their day, and who, at the time, often had to find an audience largely outside of the Unitarian Church. These upstarts were the Transcendentalists, and while in the years since they have often been celebrated as the most influential and morally imaginative of our forebearers, at the time, they were marginalized and, in many cases, ridiculed or pushed out of Unitarian circles entirely. While Ralph Waldo Emerson tends to be the most widely remembered of the Unitarian Transcendentalists, it was Theodore Parker who is largely credited with having planted the subversive seeds that eventually overturned the soil of old guard Unitarianism and formed the new roots for an evolving movement. You probably know Parker as the source of both Abraham Lincoln's description of American government as of the people, by the people, and for the people, and Martin Luther King Jr.'s assertion that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Those quotes derive from speeches later in Parker's career as an abolitionist activist, but it was in 1841 that he broke, somewhat inadvertently at the time, with the Unitarian mainstream by delivering a speech titled The Transient and the Permanent in Christianity. In it, he made the case for an absolute religious truth that was outside of historical revelation that depended on no single teacher, act, or event. Christianity is not a system of doctrines, he claimed, but rather a method of attaining oneness with God. Today, we take for granted this assertion that what is most essential about our spiritual experience is intrinsic, that it can be accessed outside of scripture, that scripture is just one source of knowledge about religious truth and the human relationship to the divine. But at the time, this was a terrible embarrassment to the Unitarian establishment, whose leaders were largely still committed to belief in biblical miracles, and who remained bulwarked against their disavowal as members of Christendom by their more orthodox peers. Parker's decision to step beyond the Unitarian's negation of the divinity of Christ and to fully affirm Jesus's humanity, to call his fellow ministers away from idolatry, venerating the Bible and Jesus as idols, and to embrace a Christianity in which the only permanent religious truths were life-giving moral intuitions led to his being permanently ostracized by his fellow Boston Unitarians. According to historian of liberal theology, Gary Dorian, while Parker's neo-Christian theology was a marginal position in the Unitarian Church at the end of his life in 1860, a half century later, it was the mainstream Unitarian perspective. The transcendentalist philosophy of Parker and Emerson became passe, but their implicitly post-Christian religious humanism reconfigured the church of Channing and Ware. Thus, American Unitarianism was transformed. Theodore Parker described his conception of permanence in Christianity in a way that might make some of us chuckle today. I, what he said was, you know, a simple thing, absolute, pure morality, absolute, pure religion, love of man, love of God. I think we might describe it differently today. 
I hope with a lot less embedded assumptions about what constitutes religion, morality, and for that matter, humanity. We don't presume that everyone is a man anymore. But I also think that the attempt to capture the and articulate the permanence has been far less crucial to his legacy than the reminder that the words and ideas and images that we build around whatever it is we that we deem essential are not and should not be intended as permanent. As Parker reminds us, and remember this was 180 years ago, he said, in respect of doctrines as well as forms, we see all is transitory. Opinions have changed most on points deemed most vital. Now, who shall tell us that the change is to stop here? That this sect or that or even all sects united have exhausted the river of life and received it all on their canonized urns so that we need draw no more out of the eternal well. But in shifting the focus from scripture and doctrines to a subjective feeling of divine connection and holy living, Parker opened up a new set of questions about what it is that defines us as a community of shared values and ethics, even if these are the transient concepts around which we build our institutions. Dear friends, this is a critical time for Unitarian Universalism, just as it is for our imperiled democracy. Through the Article II Study Commission, which has a very bureaucratic name, but a very important job to do, we have opened up our now, for some seemingly sacrosanct, principles and sources for the necessary updates required to meet the needs of a new generation, a new historical moment. We are rewriting the article of our bylaws in which we have codified the definition of that which we share as Unitarian Universalists. That doesn't mean that we're changing what it means to be a UU, but we are changing some of the words that were chosen in 1961, when Kennedy was sworn in as president and we sent the first humans to space. This is our chance to ask for a new time, one in which authoritarianism, white nationalism, and patriarchal control of bodily autonomy threaten even our yet inadequate progress towards liberation for all. What is transient and what do we believe is permanent about our shared faith? We are called, what are we called to promise to one another if we are going to be a beacon of hope and light to each other and to the world around us in a time such as this? Theodore Parker's charge echoes across nearly two centuries. The question puts itself to each person, he said, Will you cling to what is perishing or embrace what is eternal? This question each must answer for themselves. I would say that first we must answer it for ourselves, but in the coming year we must also answer it together. This is not easy work. What is most 
permanent about our living tradition may be its openness to transformation and to embracing divine change itself. In this congregation, many of us love and have embraced Octavia Butler's visionary proclamation that God is change. I certainly have. Regardless, it is not mine nor any of ours to determine on our own. What I do know is that our current principles and purposes were certainly not intended to be permanent, and they must adapt if they're going to be the central expression of that which defines us as a movement. And we do need to define ourselves. Frederick Henry Hedge, the original American transcendentalist, put it this way. There must be a line somewhere, a line which defines it and separates those who are in it from those who are without. The scope of the liberal church is large, but everything and everyone cannot be embraced by it. I, like I imagine many of you, cringe at the idea of definition for the purpose of exclusion. But I also know that only through knowing ourselves and defining our edges can we form meaningful relationships across difference or recognize when we are building a more liberated and just world, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. As Unitarian Universalists, we have defined ourselves as a denomination and often as individuals, myself very much included, by the, do the doctrines and dogma that we negate. Right now, we are faced with the joyous opportunity, and I am really truly excited, to instead affirm, to affirm a new purpose and values, to renew what is transient, as well as our shared understanding of what is permanent enough to bind us in covenant for the decades, but perhaps not centuries, to come. I hope you will join me in embracing the hard yet beloved task of renewal, both of our essence as Unitarian Universalists and the ever-changing expressions of our shared faith. It will also be valuable practice for the sacred and enormously challenging work of renewing our democracy that we must undertake in the years ahead. Come, let us emerge from the chrysalis even more beautiful than the creature that went in. The genetic blueprint is in us and has been all along. It seems to me that to recognize and shed the transient in order to embrace the ever-changing story of who we want to become may not be easy, but is in our natures. Blessed be and amen. Now, please rise in body or spirit, and we'll sing together hymn 121, We'll Build a Land, verses 1 and 2. And please note that we've made some small changes to the chorus, the lyrics of the chorus, to make them more inclusive. It goes, come build a land, my trusted companions, where building with love we may then create peace.
Take courage, friends. The way is often hard, the path is never clear, and the stakes are very high. Take courage, for deep down, there is another truth. You are not alone. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.